0: They say America is dying.
1: If you're not preparing for emergencies and upcoming events within our nation, then I think now is the time to begin the preparedness task. I have an important announcement to make before I continue with this show. Beginning this week on december seventeenth, Around the Campfire with Kate will be live on PSN radio every Thursday and Sunday night at eight PM Eastern Standard Time. I'll try to render unadulterated news as well as give some practical survival tips that could help you in an emergency situation. I know that everyone is a buzz about Creepy Joe possibly being sworn in as President of the United States, and it's rumored that if he gets into the White House that he will immediately pardon his two sons, his brother James and the rest of the ilk from their treasonous activities, as they continue the destruction of our great nation and the killing of the innocence of our children. We're placed upon this earth for such a time as this, and we all have something to offer in the saving of our country. I offer my experiences and service whenever and wherever it may be needed. And President Trump on Wednesday provided great contrast to those embarrassing stories of the corrupt Biden crime family by showing his reality-based approach to China, sanctioning a member of the CCP named Wan Kwok Koi, affectionately known as Broken Tooth, for, quote, using Beijing's multi-nation infrastructure project to hide the expansion of and crimes committed by one of the world's largest Chinese criminal organizations, unquote. This was carried out by Trump's Treasury Department under the Global Magnitsky Human Rights Accountability Act, which targets corruption and human rights abuse. And a couple of other groups under this man's control were also sanctioned. The UPI reports, quote, Juan, a member of the CCP's political consultative conference, is being blacklisted for engaging in corruption as a leading figure in the 14K triad, which deals in drug and human trafficking, illegal gambling, racketeering, and other crime, Criminal Enterprises. Unquote. They're involved in developing a powerful business network that the Trump administration said is involved in cryptocurrencies, real estate, and a security company involved in protecting investments for the Belt and Road Initiative, which the State Department described in a report of last month as quote, China's predatory development program and debt trap diplomacy, unquote. For a real eye-opening, the executive summary of this report is a must-read. First, the report outlines the problems posed by the Chinese government due to its very nature. It goes on to say that, quote, Meeting the China challenge requires the United States to return to fundamentals. To secure freedom, America must refashion its foreign policy in light of 10 tasks. And then it lays out the 10 tasks. 10 Tasks. This summary is what America needs, and it is so brilliantly drafted. I recommend reading this entire 47-page report. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate. The introduction music is by Dave Bray and Jeremy Harrell. So go on over to YouTube and check out Dave Bray's patriotic music. Tonight and the rest of the broadcast, I'm going to talk on Part 2 of How to Identify and Avoid Choke Points in an Emergency Situation. This is a call-in show, so if you want to call in and make a statement, ask a question, or just give your opinion, please feel free. The number is 786-245-8127. Or you can call in using Skype through PSN Radio. That number again is 786-245-8127. And some points in this lesson will be repeated from other lessons, but that doesn't mean that the points are less important and does not bear repeating. Rally points to meet your circle in case of a disaster is very important. They're particularly effective in situations with call for immediate evacuation or as a protective measure against separation. A great way to practice Rally Point Cohesion is to take family camping trips, especially in the case of younger children. The ability to react to stress proactively can mean the difference between life and death. And kids are often froze up in new areas, new situations, and around new people. Taking them outside of their neighborhood and teaching them landmarks and checkpoints will get them prepared and more comfortable with their surroundings. This will make them assets instead of liabilities during times of trouble. It's best to use two separate rally points. Your initial rally point should be located close to your home and familiar to all of your family members, and preferably you'd be able to reach this location on foot. The second rally point should be far enough away that you'll be able to get away from the immediate dangers surrounding your home. The decision should rest on the size, age, and physical capabilities of your companions or your team. And there's no special formula, so you, you have to find a balance. If security and seclusion are of optimal concern, then your rally point will likely be tougher to reach and may require off-road vehicles. If the goal is to get many people organized quickly, a local camping ground or a national park may be best. Rally points should be defined from a directional perspective and tied to secondary factors within your local community. Your own personal resources should also be taken into consideration. For example, do you want a boat? Is it docked in a bay, a marina, or near a river, a lake, or an ocean? If you live inland, this can make for a great rally point. Your choice to head to such a location, however, should be guided by accessibility. For example, if you live in California, it may make sense to shoot for Catalina Island if you have a means of making it there. Since so many people will likely be heading east away from the coast, it's a smart move to do the direct opposite and head towards the water. You're not only liked like... like blah, 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 Rented lips tonight, folks. If you are you are not only likely to encounter little traffic, but little danger from the human element as well. And creating a driving history of what you see in each direction is important. Memorize it or write it down and stick it in a safe place in your vehicle. Keep tabs on non-paved terrain while thinking about whether it could be navigated by your vehicle. Watch for police stations or military bases. The larger the authority presence in a given direction, the greater the likelihood of checkpoints, pat-downs, and other protocols, which would serve to slow you down or even detention. Terrain, types of roads, structures found along the way, presence of authority figures, and other secondary and terrain factors will also come into play. All of these factors should weigh on deciding which direction will provide the best escape route for you. Depending on where you're located nationally, some of these directions will likely be more popular choices for the masses. If you can guess that most people will evacuate in one direction, you should go the opposite direction. The people on the coastal regions will tend to drift away from bodies of water. Therefore, like the Carolinas, Georgia will likely head west, while the Californians, Oregon, Washington will probably head east. If you find yourself in either of these two states or all those other states, you should probably look either north or south, as the majority of the traffic will likely not move in that direction. If you're extremely well prepared, you may choose to go against common rationale altogether. If you have a boat docked somewhere offshore, You can choose to make a nearby nearby island your destination of refuge. Few people will think to hide on a small island off the coast of one of the Carolinas. This is precisely the the outside-the-box thinking that you will need to employ in preparing for evacuations. Remember that congestion is as much of a danger during evacuations as the cause of the evacuation itself. Whatever you choose to do, your primary goal should be to distance yourself from crowds and crowded travel routes. Knowing what direction is best depends greatly on understanding where you are and what the fallout scenarios of your emergency are. The reason most Carolinians Californians will head straight west or east is because coastal areas often experience flooding. The common sense in such a scenario is to move directly away from large bodies of water. There are, however, a good many factors to consider outside of the initial and most obvious ones. Traffic, weather patterns, and topography are just the tip of the the iceberg. What other folks are doing should also have a profound effect on your decision-making. It's very important to run away from the herd. It all comes down to looking at a map and figuring out where the smallest number of people will head most of the time. The first step to avoid is looting. Thievery and robbery will be very tempting for many who are on evacuation. Some will reason that if they stay just a little bit longer and wait, they'll have their pickings of whatever people leave behind. Some will even prepare vans and trucks, which they will fill with items taken from abandoned homes and businesses. Aside from the moral and legal implications of these acts, that will slow you down. The second step to avoid is the herd mentality. Of the horde. Humans naturally flock together with each other. We're simply wired to follow the pack. It's our most basic instinct in times of crisis and we rely on instincts above all else. We will be tempted to drive in the direction that everyone else is driving and you'll be tempted to behave in the way that everyone else is behaving. You'll be tempted to follow. Do not follow. Prepare yourself to be a shepherd instead of a sheep. Lead, never follow. You don't have to steal or follow anyone to fall victim to it. You can fall victim to the hoard with respect to your own stuff. You can spend too much time trying to secure possessions and lose precious evacuation time in the process. Hoarding items, which you may eventually get rid of anyway, are both dangerous and stupid Prepare yourself for this reaction as it hits many people at the moment of evacuation. This is why you should already have your go bag and be prepared. In the event of an emergency, grab your bag and go. You do not have to worry about anything else that you have to grab. The Internet is a wonderful tool. It's made everything so much easier. But the problem with the Internet is that many people are unprepared to deal with the loss of technology. In an evacuation, you'll likely not be able to bring up Google Maps on your phone. Terrain and topographical maps will give you the information that you really need. It's great, it's great to know the highways and their exits. It's great to know towns and their streets. But what do you know about the town if the town is chopped up by a hurricane or a tornado or a flood? What do you do if a highway is swallowed up by an earthquake? Terrain maps break down the geography of an area. Living in a world of paved roads and streets, we often forget that the Midwest is flat. Nevada is mostly desert, and the Appalachians are mostly mountains. This is the sort of information you need a lot more of than highway toll locations and street names. When evacuation, you not only want to know where you're headed, but what will you have to go through to get there. If you study the terrain maps in advance of your area, they'll help you with both your go-bag and your evacuation strategy. Mountain ranges are a great example of how topographical awareness can affect your escape plans. For example, I live in the Appalachian Mountains, and they run diagonally across the eastern United States. They stretch all the way from Alabama and Georgia in the south all the way up to Maine in the northeast. Taking one look at the map of the United States makes it very clear. The Appalachians can be a huge roadblock to the evacuation plans of millions of people. Depending on different weather-related scenarios, ups and the downs, the winding nature of this colossal mountain range can have a very trying effect on travelers. Wet roads, icy roads, power outages, panicky drivers can create deadly scenarios. Those who are forced to travel through and over the Appalachian Mountains much have better lighting equipment must have better lighting equipment better handling ve- vehicles and an awareness of large animal population for those who don't live in wood- wooded areas a deer jumping out in front of you on the road sounds like a fairy tale it's something that you see on tv in a commercial in the mountainous hilly and forest laden areas of the appalachians however or the cascade mountains or the Rocky Mountains, animals of all sorts can suddenly appear in front of your car and cause a a crash. Now you are in a different emergency scenario. In spite of all the potential risks, high vantage points can offer a myriad of safety benefits. A cabin somewhere high in the mountains can be one of the safest possible rally points and evacuation destinations. If you have such a location prepared, all of the risks associated with mountainous roads may very well be worth it. Never disqualify an option. Just make sure to weigh the pros and the cons. Terrain maps and regional awareness trump bravery and toughness every time. Preparation is a broad and general concept, but reveals itself a niche the deeper it is analyzed. Know your region well. Become an expert in the topography and terrains. Only detailed terrain map study and navigation experience can aid you in this goal. Just be aware in advance, map reading is not as simple as it sounds. Some home topography study, you could probably find something on uh, YouTube. It'll... Suit what you need to do as an added layer of preparation. And like anything else, weapons are dependent on the size of your party and your personal needs. A lone traveler may feel safe with a pocket knife and a tire iron. Personally, if I'm a lone traveler, I don't want a tire iron. I don't want to have to carry it, but I will have a firearm. A larger group with women, children, and elderly in tow should likely keep firearms. And whether we confront the hordes, there may be unpleasant encounters ahead. We cannot assume that the police or any law enforcement agency will provide us with protection. As a result, we must prepare to protect ourselves. And it's wise to take firearm safety classes. Every adult on your team should do so. Guns comes in all shapes and sizes, and every adult, regardless of age, gender, or physical stature, can safely operate a firearm. And guns are the preferred method of protection, as they can ensure a defense from a distance. Pepper pepper spray stun guns, baseball bats, knives, can all do the trick but require confronting your attacker at close range and are rarely useful against multiple assailants. For those who have hunted, Throughout their lives, a powerful rifle is a natural choice. Being able to fire off a warning shot, which I have stopped doing, will be taken seriously by potential attackers. It's a great way to ward off trouble. But at the same time, a powerful rifle with a scope can be a chief source of nourishment for you and your your party when you're hunting for food. Nobody has ever tracked and killed a deer with a pistol. But a rifle can be a means of dinner procurement if your food supply runs low. There's no limit to a good weapon arsenal. More obscure items like a crossbow or an axe can do the job in a pinch. Utility items like rope and duct tape can help subdue attackers or animals. Hunting knives and hacksaws can become kitchen utensils. Weapons should always be concealed and kept out of view. For the overwhelming majority of potential situations you'll face, a small caliber firearm will do just fine. They're more accurate and easier to conceal. Carry three to four clips on you at all times, and you you have nothing to worry about. If you're hanging around a dangerous group of people, small caliber firearms are the safest bet. They will not draw attention while providing the protection that you need. Now remember... Not to be the action hero blasting away at all the bad guys. Be the supporting actor who gets away. You should be ready to max out your credit card in the blink of an eye. And you say, Kate, you sound crazy. Well, if there is an emergency situation and the economy drops, it is not bad. Items such as food, water, gasoline, medication should be at the top of your list. This is not the time for prudent financial conservation. Like I said, if the financial system collapses, those who spend rapidly in its dying moments would be in the best position moving forward. Perhaps you want to pour some cash into an emergency debit card or a cash-filled prepaid credit card. Maybe you want to buy some precious metals or keep a stash of gold and silver coins on hand, and people frown upon this. But you know, throughout history, when currencies have failed, precious metals have taken their place. And one of the good features of precious metals is that they can easily be hidden and transported among their less worthless relatives. Breaking down a few dozen rolls of quarters into your toolkit and mixing them with nuts, bolts, and nails is a great way to hide them from potential thieves, because most people They think to rummage through your pockets and your wallets if they're going to rob you, but very few thieves will think to go after the nails in your toolkit. As to cash money currency, keep it on your person. Utilizing the hurricane sewing machine sewing technique mentioned in previous lessons can assure that you neither lose your money by accident or have it taken from you on purpose. A common tactic used by defenders from Eastern Bloc nations was to split the inner side of the leather belt down the middle of the blade. They would then fold money into small flattened rectangles and line the insides of their belts. Then they would loosely sew the inner sides of the belt together. This way they could ensure having some tradable currency once they reached their defective location. Many creative options are out there. Women women with long hair can tie them in buns, creating tightly wound compartments for jewelry. A baby's diaper or the bottom of grandpa's wheelchair can also become great hiding places for valuables. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make during a panic is to panic. You can count on every man, woman, and child to be on edge especially during an evacuation. There's no need for friends or neighbors. It will be every man for himself. And human beings can smell fear, and you must be prepared for this. We're not all meant to play the hero. We all bleed, we all suffer, and we all experience fear. And it's important to remember that this is normal, and it is to be expected. This is why we want to prepare to blend in and never stand out in the crowd, whether it's on our clothes, our walk, our talk. Our goal in a crisis should be to be the opposite of what people do on television and film. We don't want to stand out and get noticed. We shouldn't try to be heroes. We should try to be the extras in the background who are not part of the story, but who live to tell about it later. And we should try to never show our fear. Make sure you walk decisively and not spend any time looking around. Stopping and turning your head is a universal sign for, hey, I'm lost. Those who are lost attract into attention. And there may be people who look to help out in times of trouble. But you're better off focusing on those who want to cause you harm. The best way to keep these vultures at bay is by giving them nothing to notice. Stopping to ask for directions, turning around repeatedly, or doing anything which might make you seem nervous can cost you and your team dearly. Try to act confidently in crowds and move directly from point A to point B. And we want to blend in whenever is possible. This means being aware of our surroundings and our evacuation destination. We should pack accordingly as we do not want to look as if we're better off Than the surrounding population. Wear neutral colors. Try to resemble your environment. Ignore fashion trends and preferably use older, weathered clothing. Remember that it's nobody's business to know how much money, food, or supplies that you have. The less impressive that you seem, the less likely anyone is to ask questions. And my pack, I pack for 72 hours. 72 hours should give me plenty of time to get from point A to point B to my evacuation area. Keep your head down, your eyes up. Learn to scan visually without major head movements. If you feel the need to look off, okay, this is an exercise that I do. I do it often. Hold your hands and arms out from your body to your side at shoulder length. Hold your... Hold your your eyes straight ahead. Put your arms and hands as far back as they'll go. Now slowly bring your arms and hands forward to your front, wiggling your fingers as you go. Now continue looking forward. When you can see your arms and fingers, mainly your fingers, from your peripheral vision, stop moving your arms forward. Make a mental note of where your hands are. This is called your field of vision. Practice looking in your field of vision often and see if you can expand your field of vision. When you can, stick to your team. Stick to your family. Regardless of how big or small your team or your family is, there's always greater strength and greater numbers. Try not to get separated, especially in a foreign or hostile environment. It's also not a bad idea to stand in groups, uh, like groups of two back-to-back if you feel threatened. Walk back-to-back until you're out of danger. But remember, this behavior should be reserved for visibly tense situations, which are already getting out of hand. This approach was once used by soldiers in battle so that they could literally watch each other's back. It is, however, an extremely defensive approach that will draw undue attention if utilized under peaceful circumstances. Remember, you want to be vigilant, and you don't want people to think you're a vigilante. Go over the different scenarios with your team. And I'm not just talking about, talk about the different scenarios. Work out the different scenarios and never press anything. If you see your sense danger, danger approaching, it's always best to leave. Don't second guess the situation. Regardless of how confident or capable you may feel to take on any given situation, Getting away from the situation is best. Just keep on reminding yourself that real life is not a movie. There are no rewards for being a hero. There's only survival. If you see trouble coming, whether it's a natural disaster or a herd of human cattle, move away. But if you live on high ground away from coastal beaches, you should consider staying in place. In Case of a flood or hurricane. On the other hand, the higher up you find yourself, the greater the danger of high wind gusts. Weigh the potential risks carefully. If you're on level plains, a tornado should elicit the response to evacuate. If you have built a good fallout shelter, you may want to stay. Once again, variable and prior preparation directly come into play. Simply put, you have all your ducks de- a eruptions in drastic scenarios. If staying put, is your natural inclination. You should already be preparing your home, shelter, and supplies. If you haven't already started, you should start now. A functional fallout shelter combined with many months' worth of food, supplies, and water during any like assumption of flood, hurricane, earthquake, tornado, riot, or nuclear fallout, and you need to stay in place, you need to plan for weeks at a time. And in some scenarios, it could actually be a month or longer. If you dig in, when most locals evacuate, do not expect the authorities to come looking for you. Do not ever expect help. If you plan on staying out, your go bag becomes everything around you. The forest is your grocery store. If staying put, go into supply stocking with the attitude that too much is not enough. You also have to keep in mind the human tendency to stick with your original plan. If you decide to dig in, you'll be more hesitant to leave later on in the crisis. Staying in place, however, can be difficult once the fight or flight instinct kicks in. You may be tempted to switch gears, even if you're not prepared for it. So be prepared for both. So in general, if you live in coastal areas or near a shore, you can prepare to leave. River and floodplain locations are equally susceptible to water damage and require evacuation. Any region with a history of disasters should be an evacuation zone if the particular disaster arises on a massive scale. Knowing your precise location and its surrounding areas will help save your life. Know your part of the country and the state that you live in. Be aware of the popular escape routes and where the obscure options are located. Plan in advance by looking back at your area's disaster history and then look ahead to your own escape plans. The young and the old present a special set of challenges. The five-minute go-bag that I talked in step one, or in phase one, can look entirely different for a childless couple than it'll look for a large clan with babies and grandparents in tow. Once again, familiarity with your specific set of circumstances is crucial that's why it cannot be reiterated enough go through your go bag exercises babies require formula if if you're if the the mother is not breastfeeding and you need diapers if you do not have enough pampers or huggies bring along or pack along cloth diapers They'll also need far more clothing than adults because babies are extremely sensitive to weather, both hot and cold extremes. Car seat strollers and baby beds will be difficult to pace and transport, so learn accordingly what is important and what is not. Anyone with children should be wise to look into how indigenous societies transported their children. A kangaroo pouch is a perfect example, and many tribes place small children in sacks which can be handled from fixtures or hang from fixtures, allowing the child to be comfortable while sleeping once its neck muscles are strong enough. The elderly also poses a problem for transport, those with issues that can be handled far more easily if addressed in advance. Any senior who uses a wheelchair should be thought of in advance. If you know that someone in your family or team cannot function without a certain item, then that item must be ready to go at all times. Such items must be able to fit into your mode of transportation. And folks with large families, small kids, or elderly relatives should have a large vehicle with ample space for bulky items of need. Stocking up on medication is always a smart move. This is especially holds true for prescription medication, which can be near impossible to acquire during shortages or when there's people on the move. The basics such as ibuprofen, aspirin, cough syrup, and anti-diarrheal mit- medications should always be stocked en masse, in mass, pre-packed, and waterproof containers. And barter has been around since Adam and Eve and was as simple as one person offering a cow to another in exchange for helping pick up their fall crop. If the target family had no need for a cow, the first family could look for a different suitor. We can even say that the barter is the oldest and most reliable economic system known to mankind. I'll be doing a whole chapter on this subject, but in case you miss it when it comes out, well, I was going to b- briefly touch on it, but I'm going to do a whole whole show on bartering and other techniques. Never give your location away. Never let anyone know outside of your team where you or your supplies are located. The key to survival once you are on the move is thinking outside of the box. Life on the move really is the furthest frontier of the service economy, which leads us to scavenging. Scavenging is both a carnivorous and herbivorous feeding behavior in which individual scavengers search out dead animals and dead plants to feed. Scavenging among humans can also mean reclaiming parts off of one item to fix another or simply finding roadkill that is still edible and consuming it. Scavenging is a low-energy way to find substance in an unpredictable And volatile environment. Some people are frightened by these sort of definitions. They imagine the worst possible scenario and actually work very hard at psyching themselves out. We should not be so hasty or mentally weak. This is how our ancestors lived for thousands of years. This is how we still live today. No human would exist today without scavenging. Every single one of us can survive as as a scavenger. In such a scenario, the weapons we bring along with us grow in value. A rifle, a handgun, crossbow paired with a hunting knife becomes our own supermarket tools. Add to some collected wood, The extra lighter that you brought along in your pack, some dried leaves, and all of a sudden, the woods can become your own personal restaurant. Go to a campground with a few cans of food and water. Next, go out and find some animal and plant sources of energy. Prepare what you need to to sterilize, cook, and clean what you find in advance. Work your way. To going out camping without food, this is the same approach used in building your go bag. It's trial and error, speed, comfort, and confidence built by repetition. hunting and cap, excuse me, hunting and camping are hands down the two best activities to get you prepared for the scavenger lifestyle. Children who are brought up as campers and forest lovers can become huge assets to your cause. There's no easy answers or options for you or your team or your family. The rate of survival during disasters increases and decreases based on the preparedness levels. I've had students tell me that they aren't planning on being prepared. They'll wait for a disaster and they'll get their supplies from the deceased or take it from those who they know who've been prepared. You know, it's a surefire way to plan your demise. Yet that is the delusional thinking of a lot of people. We can think of disaster survival and situational awareness as a test of strength and endurance. Think of the folks at the gym who spend years tightening and toning their bodies versus those who perform hard physical labor at work and on their own. You know, Raking leaves, mowing lawns, chopping trees down will rarely lead to anyone looking like a fitness model, but these activities will give people real-world strength. That's not to say that bench presses and bicep curls are useless. I'm not saying that. The point is that sometimes unnoticed activities can give us strength, which is ignored by mainstream training. Disaster preparation is not any different. Do what you need to do. Do it now. Now that what they tell you to do. Don't do what they tell you to do. Do what you need to do. Treat your disaster and evacuation preparedness as a workout. Work both your mental and your physical muscles within your means. And realize there's a direct connection between the two. And that getting yourself prepared properly means addressing all potential situations that could arise. Practice situational awareness and talk to your loved ones or your team about evacuation. Are you bugging in or are you bugging out? Make it both educational and fun not just for them, but for yourself. The sort of disasters that can occur go beyond the boundaries of most nightmares. Instead of living in fear or simply ignoring what can happen, take charge and become proactive in ensuring your family and your team's safety and prosperity. Take stock in what you have in your possessions and what you will need to acquire. Know that your ultimate goal is survival, that anything else will simply not suffice. Take personal responsibility and realize that you're the only one that you can depend on. There's no excuses from this point forward. It's all up to you. But, Kate, I don't know how to start. Well, a good place to start is go to Target, go to Walmart, go to REI, a backpacking place, And get yourself a decent backpack. While you're in store, ask the associate to help you fit the backpack on your body. Does it fit well on your hips? Does it pull on your shoulders? Learn how to work that backpack while you're in the store. If that backpack does not fit, choose another one until you get the proper fit. Take the backpack home and write out a list of what you need. Food, water, fire, shelter. Those are the four things that you need to survive. There are 72-hour kits that are in uh, little bags. Uh, M- MREs. You can pack, it, repack MREs. Um, the 72-hour kits you can fit in that backpack. Now you have your food for 72 hours. Fire, you can have a knife. Always have a good, decent bushcraft knife. But with your fire, I have. I, I, I use a knife and flint and steel. I also have a ferro rod. I also have waterproof matches. And I also have big lighters. Big lighters are very inexpensive, but they light every time. Until you have your fire. Water, I use life straw and I also use sawyer the sawyer um, the Sawyer water filter system the the, the medium size um, I do not like the and I do not prefer I should say the uh the small size because for some reason they clog uh too quickly. The medium size I like because it fits very well in my pack. And it also comes with its own container. So if you do not have an algae bottle or a bottle that you can use, uh, to put your purified water in, this particular Sawyer, um, filter gets called the, let's say the Sawyer Squeeze. Um, it comes with two, two bags with it to where you can get a liter of water and you can put that water in your uh in your pot to to cook with or and and boil the water or you can drink straight from the filter um, shelter i in my backpack i have a a tarp a waterproof tarp um I also have the emergency blankets. I also have a wooby. If you do not know what a wooby is, then the military, it is a poncho liner. And I have two whoopees because they are lightweight. And um, I also have a poncho. Uh, so if I'm caught off guard and I do not have what is in my pack, I also have a day pack. And in my day pack has, has one wooby and a poncho liner and the food, water, fire, shelter. In my main pack, I have a food, water, fire, shelter, and a few extra items like uh, wool socks, uh, a wool blanket, uh, extra extra items, a, a uh, first aid kit. Um, it is not comprehensive, but I also know how to uh, use herbs in the woods as my medicine cabinet. So... If you do not know herbs and uh, plants identification, then I would go ahead and have a comprehensive first aid kit. Yet, I encourage everyone to learn plant identification. God created plants. And the poisonous plants over here, he's created an antidote close by. So say you have poison ivy um, over here against this tree. Well, close by, there's an antidote to help with the itching and the scratching and the spreading of that poison ivy. You just have to know where to look and what plants to get. Well, Kate, I'm not that. I'm not that smart. I don't I don't have that ability. Yes you do. Everyone has that ability. Um there are YouTube programs, there are books that you can purchase. There are there's a plethora of of uh ideas and suggestions and comments and complaints and criticisms. There's there's so much out there that you can glean the knowledge of other people and learn this and learn it now while you can. It's very important to know these things. I talk about a pack and, and people want to pack their packs to 80, 90 pounds. Um, I can grab my day pack and I can, I can survive 72 hours on my day pack and still make it with a smorgasbord board of food in the wilderness. But that is because I have been doing this for 35, 40 years. And you say, but Kate, I'm just starting out. I don't know what to do. Well, it is winter time. What a best time to learn and understand and grow, the, grow in the wilderness. Take a weekend. If you cannot take a weekend, take a day. Pack your pack and go off into the wilderness. Learn how to track. Learn what certain herbs and plants that are out there in the wintertime. What can you do to survive in the wintertime? What do I need? A sleeping bag? Well, you know, that is up to you. Most people would like to take a sleeping bag. Most people do take a sleeping bag with their backpacks. Um, if you go to a place like Cabela's or REI, these places have associates that know what they're doing with backpacks. And they can help you. Get the proper backpack that will fit your particular body style. They can help you with whatever tent or shelter or sleeping bag that you need for the environment that you live in. If you cannot go into the wilderness for a day, then go in your backyard. Go in your backyard and pitch a tent. Or go in your backyard and build a shelter with just your tarp. Build a small fire. Learn how to use the equipment that you have now. So, in an emergency, you're not fumbling around and trying to figure out how to do things. Know what is in your pack. And set up your camp, like at a second nature, because that is going to be your home temporarily. No radio show or articles or books can be said to actually teach you how to survive in any given situation. You must get out there and learn for yourself. Learn for your family. Learn for survival. If the Biden crime family is allowed to be sworn into the White House, come on, listeners. This country is going to hell. The republic that we know and love, that we have fought for when we were in the military, or our loved ones, when they were in the military, fought for so we could have these freedoms, will be gone. And what are you going to do? Are we going to sit back and just wait and say, oh, in four years, Biden, crime family will be gone? I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Sorry, I'm not sorry. You guys need to listen. There probably will not be another election as we should have in the Constitution. Our Constitution will be gone. Okay, you're just a fear monger, am I? Kate, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't. Just like with the, this coronavirus vaccine that has not been tested on long-term situations, people in Europe are having serious side effects. Neurologic, irreparable neurological damage. I have been warning people for the last nine months, Whatever vaccine that they are trying to get people to mandate to take will do irreparable damage. They call it the zombie vaccine for a reason. The neurological damage that is done is irreparable. I'm not going to say I told you so if you get the vaccine and God forbid nothing bad happens to you. But if it does, I will not say I told you so. But I will be there for you. This ends the broadcast for me tonight. It's my hope that you've learned something valuable. Thank you for joining me around the campfire. And remember... Beginning Thursday night December 17th I'll be live on the air Thursday and Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time right here on PSN Radio Train hard train say you really care but America is dying i don't see no love nowhere.